Revelation chapter 15. Let's pray. Father, as we come to this scripture, we come to these places in the book of Revelation where we see your judgment being poured out. It's hard for us to grasp and it's hard for us to understand. But we know that your word declares you as just. And your word declares that your judgments are righteous. And we know, Lord, there's been many opportunities for the people to turn of their sin and repent from their sin and come to you and and not have to be part of this judgment and go through it. But they've actually gone through it by their choice because they were not willing to repent. Father, may we not have that heart. May we be drawn to you. May we repent from our sins. May we be saved. In Jesus' name, amen. As I said, we've been covering the book of Revelation. We do teach chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and now we find ourselves this morning in Revelation chapter 15. It's probably the eighth or tenth week, something like that, where we have been studying God's judgment and God's wrath. And you might think, well, why on earth would you teach that for eight or ten weeks? That's certainly not going to bring the people in. We don't want to come to church to hear God's judgment and hear God's wrath. Listen, as followers of Christ, we need to know all sides of God. We need need to know all the characteristics of God. We need to understand that he's just, he's merciful, and he's gracious, but he's also a judge who will one day condemn the earth and the people in the earth or on the earth that have rejected Christ. Remember, we're studying in this tribulation period. It's a seven-year period. The church will be raptured at some time in the future. Talks about it in 1 Thessalonians. We saw it in Revelation chapter 4. The church will be taken up. Those are the believers in Christ. And what will be left behind is a seven-year period of tribulation that will come upon the earth and the purpose of that tribulation is to number one judge that Christ rejecting world and number two to bring the nation Israel back to God because right now the nation Israel rejected Jesus Christ as their Messiah so the purpose of this tribulation is to bring them back as well as judge the world and you might think well why doesn't God just do it all at once why does he just snap his fingers and it's done Because he wants to give every single person an opportunity to repent of their sins. That's why it's drawn out. That's why it's taken seven years. You see, he could do it all at once. He could at some point in the future say, that's it, done. If you don't know Christ, forget it, it's over. But instead, he cast down these judgments. First, we saw the seal judgments. Then we saw the trumpet judgments. Next week, we're going to see the bowl judgments. Each judgment is getting worse. It's getting more severe. And it's becoming more encompassing on the earth. And as he casts down these judgments, it makes us look and go, whoa, I thought God was a loving God. He is. But don't forget, he's also a just God. And he's also a righteous God. In chapter 15, if you'll follow along with me. Well, before we get there, let me just remind you of chapter 14. In Revelation 14, we saw at the end of the chapter, it seemed to describe the end of all things. It ended with the final battle of Armageddon. It was like the end of the world. We saw that sort of coming to fruition. But now in chapter 15, John's going to go back and he's going to describe what's leading up to that battle of Armageddon, only he's going to do it in more, in more detail. It's going to be more specific. And this is pretty common through the book of Revelation. It's pretty common in prophecy in the Old Testament. It's something that we see throughout the scriptures where this idea of starting and restarting and then describing in more detail, you know, it's common throughout Hebrew literature in general. So it's not something new. It's not something he's just doing in this one particular scripture. And like I said last week, remember, Revelation is not necessarily in chronological order. It doesn't, you can't read it from chapter 1 to chapter 22 and think it's all happening in that order because right now we're going to back up a little bit. So we're going to back up and we're setting the stage for these final seven bold judgments. In chapter 15, we're going to see 
the tribulation saints in heaven. We're going to see those saints that come to Christ during the tribulation period, worshiping and praising God. We're going to see uh, the worship of heaven, what's taking place, the worship that they're pouring out, and we're also going to be introduced to these seven bowls of judgment that will be uncovered when we get to chapter 16. So in chapter 15, verse 1, if you'd follow along with me, look at verse 1. It says, Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them the wrath of God is complete. John sees what he calls another sign. Another sign, which means it's connected or it's in connection with some previous signs. In John chapter 12, we saw a great sign John described as a woman. We spoke and remember that woman was a representative representation or a picture of the nation Israel. In John chapter 12, verse 3, he saw a sign of a great dragon. And we talked about that sign of that great dragon was a representation or a picture of Satan. But here he sees another great sign and he describes it two ways. He says it's great and it's marvelous. The word marvelous means wonderful. It's great and it's marvelous. It's great and it's wonderful. This is what he sees. And he sees seven angels with the seven last plagues, for in them the wrath of God is complete. Can you imagine, those of you that have been with us throughout the study of Revelation, can you imagine being on earth during the time where the wrath of God is being poured out? Most of us would say, well, if I saw something like that, I think I would believe in God. It wouldn't take me very long to see fire falling from heaven before I would give my life to the Lord. Well, what we're going to see next week is it's just the opposite. Because as the bowls of judgment are poured out next week, people are going to be blaspheming God. They're going to know where the judgment's coming from, and they're still not going to turn. But John lets us know here the wrath of God has an end. It won't last forever. Coming in these bowls of judgment will be the completion of the wrath of God. And that word for wrath, it means a volatile, passionate anger. A volatile, passionate anger. It's intense displeasure. It's fierceness. It's indignation. It's wrath. Usually the word, there's another Greek word that's translated other places as anger. This is a volatile, passionate anger. God has come to the point where a Christ-rejecting world can survive no longer. Judgment is imminent. And final judgment, final wrath is coming to pass very quickly. As we travel through here, the judgments will get more intense. They'll have a more widespread effect. And this will actually be the complete judgment of God. It means it will reach an end or it will reach the aim. The word for complete means to aim. You've reached your goal. You've got to the completion of something. You've come to the end of something. And look at verse 2. John says, I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire. And those who have the victory over the beast, over his image, over his mark, over the number of his name, they're standing on the sea of glass having harps of God. Who are these people that he's talking about? These people certainly have victory over the beast, over the image of the beast. We've talked about that in previous chapters, over his mark, over the number of his name. And here they see, here they are standing on the sea of glass. Remember in Revelation chapter 4, John saw a sea of glass as he was, as he was taken up into the throne room of heaven. He saw a sea of glass there as well. And he said it was clear as crystal, it was in the throne room of God. And now here we have people, because they've had victory over the mark, 
because they've had victory over the beast, we know that they were alive during the tribulation period. So what John is seeing is these tribulation saints that are now in the throne room of heaven or in the presence of God. He's seeing them having, they're in the presence of God in a future sense. He's looking into the heavens, he's seeing them there. Now notice it says the sea is mingled with fire. That's interesting because fire always represents judgment in the Bible. It's a refining fire. It's, it's a picture of judgment where, where God's judgment is coming down. So why is it mixed with the sea of glass? Some people believe the fiery trials the saints endured during the tribulation period, it's there to remind them of that. One commentator put it this way. He said, the sea is designed to reflect the glory of God. In chapter 4, its description, like unto crystal, speaks of the holiness of God. Here the sea mingled with fire speaks of divine judgment proceeding from God's holiness. Many believe that the architecture of heaven, the sea of glass, is a physical representation of the word of God. So therefore, when they see the saints standing on the sea of glass, they're actually standing on the word of God. And it would be the word of God that carried them through that tribulation period. Because remember what happens if you don't take the mark? What happens if you don't take the mark? You'll be killed. You will be unable to buy and sell. You'll be martyred. You have no option. You're either going to take a mark or not take a mark. We talked about that in detail. Many of them, like I said, many believe that the architecture of heaven, the sea of glass, is this physical representation of the word of God connecting the idea of the tabernacle's labor, that bronze labor where the, where the burnt offerings were offered, and the washing of water by the word in Ephesians. Perhaps that we could even say these saints during the tribulation period are standing on the word of God. They're standing on that sea of glass. But notice what's in their hands. Did you catch what was in their hands? They have harps. They have harps in their hands. They're, they're an instrument of worship. In Revelation chapter 5, we saw the 24 elders, and they had harps in their hands. And who were the 24 elders, just for refreshment? The 24 elders the tw represents the 12 apostles, representing the Christian church, the 12 tribes of Israel, representing the nation Israel, those who believed God and were counted righteous like Abraham before the coming of Christ, those that believed on Jesus Christ, those that were raptured. That 24 elders a picture of those people that are in heaven before the rapture or during the rapture at that time. So it represents a large body of people. Now these saints that have been persecuted through this tribulation period are present with those of us, those of us that are believers that are already in heaven. We're brought together. They're re, they're re, they're, we're united with them. Now let's look, let's look at the song that they're singing. And I want you to consider what they've endured. Think about what they endured on earth. Think about the judgments of God, thinking about failing to take the mark, thinking about being martyred for your faith. They find themselves in heaven, and here's what they're singing in verse 3. They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. And they're saying, great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints, who shall not fear you. O Lord, and glorify your name, for you alone are holy. For all nations shall come and worship before you, for your judgments have been manifested. It says he's singing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Is that one song? Is that two songs? Well, some people believe it's a single song. Some people believe it's two separate songs. And some people believe it's just a medley. Because you remember the song of Moses back in the Old Testament? Back in Exodus chapter 15, when the Israelites were being led out of Egypt by Moses, they, Pharaoh took off after them. They came to their first roadblock, which was the Red Sea. 
And they got to the Red Sea and they didn't know what to do. And they said, they blamed Moses. Moses, you brought us out here to have us killed. Moses didn't know what to do, so he fell on his face. And he prayed. He said, God, do something. And what did God do? He parted the Red Sea. They walked across on dry land. The Egyptians tried to follow. The sea collapsed. They had victory. And then Moses sang a song on the other side of the sea. It was a song of deliverance and a song of redemption. Because God had delivered them from their adversary. God had redeemed them. God had been faithful to his word that he was going to bring them out. And then again in Deuteronomy chapter 32, Moses authored another song that we saw that it was to be taught to the children. And that song was a song of God's faithfulness. God's faithfulness. And then we hear in verse 3 in Revelation, we hear about the song of the Lamb. The song of the Lamb, that's a love song. That's a song of somebody named Jesus Christ who died on the cross for our sins, for my sins and for your sins. Why? So we wouldn't have to endure this tribulation. So we wouldn't have to be part of this. So we could have abundant life in Christ today. It's not something that we get in the future. We get a, we get a changed life today the moment we believe on Jesus Christ. The song of the Lamb was a song of worship, a song of love. So we have these saints, they're singing this song, whether it be one, two, or a combined, and I want to draw some points out of this song in verses 3 and 4. Notice this. There's four specific things. This song is deeply rooted in the Old Testament, and it gives praise to God for four specific reasons. Number one, it praises God for God's works. God's works. Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Your works. That's his deeds. Those are the things that somebody normally does on a regular basis. So they're in the, these saints, these tribulation saints, are praising God for what he does. What he's normally doing on a daily basis. They're praising him for his works. Number two, number two they're praising him for his ways. They're praising him for his ways. Just and true are your ways, O king of the saints. They're praising him for his ways. They're just and they're true. Now, if anybody had a right to complain, wouldn't they? I mean, God, couldn't you have spared me the tribulation? Couldn't you have spared me the persecution? Couldn't you have spared me the pain? You know, I really wouldn't have signed up to be martyred, Lord. That's not really what I wanted in my life. But yet their life didn't go like they planned. And here they're praising God for his ways. Now, if you have a note, if you're taking notes or you like to write in your Bible, circle the word for ways. And I want you to write this down next to it. Pathway or roadway, because that's what it means. In the Greek language, the word for ways, it's hodos. It means pathway or roadway. It's the road or the path for traveling from one place to another. They're praising God for the way that they got to heaven. Think about that for a minute. Because we're all on our own pathway. We're all on our own roadway. Where's it leading you? Where's your pathway taking you? Where's your roadway leading you? Take a look at your life right now as you sit here. Are you happy with it? Has it been what you expected? Is it what you thought from the time you were a little boy or a little girl? Have you accomplished what you wanted to accomplish? Where is the roadway taking you? You see, these saints endured tremendous persecution, and now they're praising God for it. They're praising God for this pathway, for this roadway. They're praising God for the way that he got them to the place that he did. Oh, I think we can be guilty of complaining against God sometimes, can't we? Can't we look at God and say, God, I don't like the way that I'm on. I don't like the road that you put me on. I don't like what you've picked in my life. Lord, I would have picked something different. Remember something. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. They're praising God for the roadway, for the pathway 
that they're on. I want you to notice what they're not doing. They're not complaining to God. They're not up there going, you know, God, you, really, you could have done this a different way. You really could have, you could have just like, you know, kept me out of the tribulation. And, you know, if, if Uncle Charlie would have told me about Jesus before, the tri- I would have believed. Or if Uncle, you know, Aunt Susan or whoever, he, there's, there's no excuses being made. There's nothing, be, there, there's nothing, there's no charges being brought against God for their situation, for the way they got there. They're happy to be there in the presence of, they're not mad at Uncle Charlie for not telling them about Jesus. Sometimes we think we're going to get to heaven and go, if I see that guy, I'm going to, I'm going to give him a piece of my mind. No, you're not. you're not. That's not going to happen at all. You're going to be in the presence of God, praising God for how you got there. And you, you too will be declaring, just and true are your ways, Lord. Because you will realize when you're in the presence of God, had you not been on his way, you wouldn't be there. And you will see the fact that I'm in the presence of God someday. And the way that I got there was the way that I needed to get there. Because any other way may have led me to a different place. His ways are just and his ways are true. I like that because that can let me look at my life. And I can say, Lord, whatever I'm going through, whatever I'm dealing with, whatever is placed before me, no matter how hard it is, if I just keep seeking you and I stay on your path, then I will get to where I need to go. His ways are just. His ways are true. Notice we talked about they're praising God for his works. They're praising God for his ways. And they're also praising God for his worth. His worth, his righteousness, his holiness. Verse 4, who shall not fear you? That's a question. Who's not going to fear the Lord? The answer is everybody's going to fear the Lord. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name, for you alone are holy? Everybody will fear the Lord. Everybody at some point. This is God's worth. This is God's, it mean, it mean, holy, his holiness, his worth, it means he's without fault. There will be no charges that you, see on earth we can make up charges against God. Well, if God was this, then why is he doing that? If God was that, why is he doing this? Well, God, why? And we can have all these why questions to God. You see, there's coming a day where there'll be no why questions. Whether you stand in heaven or whether you stand in hell, there will be no more why. The answer will be clear. There will be no more, I wonder if, what happened, God, there will be no excuses being made. The righteousness judgment of God will fall and you will have heard it and you will have understood it. There's no option. There's no alternative. There's no, I want to argue my case. I didn't know. That doesn't happen because you will be, you will, your eyes will be open to all of the things that have ever happened to bring you to God if you've rejected or, bring you, or that led you to God or that got you to heaven in front of him. It'll all be open to you clearly someday. It's his, it's his worth. Who shall not fear you, O Lord? Glorify your name. Everybody's going to glorify him. And the last thing they praise him for, keeping with the W theme, his works, his ways, his worth. I said his word. Because at the last part of verse 4, it says, For all nations shall come and worship before you. For your judgments have been manifested. Rob, how does that, how does that tie into his words? Doesn't the word of God tell us that all nations will worship the Lord? Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. When it comes to the end of this tribulation period, there will be no doubt he's God. As a matter of fact, in Psalm 22, 7, it says this. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. Psalm 86, 9 says this. All nations whom you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. 
You see, what's happening is God is keeping the word that he's laid out from the beginning of time. He has said that all nations will come to bow. All nations will come to work. You can only deny the existence of God for so long. You see, people today have the ability to believe in God or not believe in God. You can say, I don't believe in God. That's your belief. That's what you do. I'm good with that. I'm telling you that someday you will no longer deny God because you will see his reality. You will see his glory. You will see his power. You will, you will be forced into a position where you will know who God was. And this, the fact that says, well, that works for you, that doesn't work for me, that will not be an excuse. Because your heart and your mind will be opened to everything that's taken place. Everything, that's, everything that you've rejected and denied will be opened. At the same way, there'll be coming a day for those that believe where your heart and your mind will be open to the reason why you've endured the things that you've endured to get to the place that you're going. You see, right now we only have those things that God wants to show us. There's a lot of whys, a lot of questions we ask. Why, God? Why is this happening? If anybody had a question why... I think it would be these tribulation saints. God, why did I have to endure that? Why didn't you save me a different way? But the truth is, they know why they had to endure it, because they rejected God prior to this. They know why they endured it, because they, they said, no, thank you to God. I don't believe in God. They were, they were not willing to repent and give their life to God. Therefore, they found themselves stuck in the tribulation. But yet, during the tribulation, they were willing to repent, and they were willing to give their life. This song praises God, and it focuses on God. I like that. I want you to notice something. Seven times in this song, it says, you or your. Our praise and our worship of God needs to mimic the praise in heaven of God. The praise in heaven of God is worshiping God. It's all about him. It's not about me. It's not about you. You won't be hearing the song, I surrender all in heaven. The worship will be about you, Lord. Notice, listen. Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. For all the nations shall come and worship before you, for your judgments have been manifested. Our worship on earth needs to mimic that. It needs to be about who God is. Not that there's not a place for songs like I Surrender All, because those are prayers. Those are songs that we're praying to God. Those are good. But when it comes to worship, I can't worship God if I'm interjecting myself. I have to be focusing on God. Now, all of these things in the life of these tribulation saints are the same things in our life. Do you know that we have the ability to praise God for his works this morning? You have the ability to praise God for his ways. You have the ability to praise God for his worth. And you have the ability to praise God for his word. The question is, where are you putting your praise? Where are you putting your praise? Are we complaining against God? Are we mad at God? Are we angry with God? Are we ignoring God? Or will we put our praise to him? Because he's telling us ahead of time. There will be a day where you will know beyond the shadow of a doubt whether you can only deny so long before you realize I do exist. Look at verse 7. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God, who lives forever and ever. The temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. No one was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. 
the bowls. The King James refers, refers to them as vials. Really what it is, is it's a shallow pan. It's a bowl, like, almost like a real shallow pan in a soup bowl. They'd be used to serve liquids. Or they'd be carried coals. The temple filled with smoke from the glory of God from his power. When the cloud of glory fills the temple in heaven, no one can enter. It's shut off. Those that are there are there, but there's a point where there's, there's no entering at this point. There's no more coming in. It's shut. It's shut down. This reminds us of something. It's a reminder of God's special presence and glory even in the midst of devastating judgment. As we unfold these bowls of judgment next week, realize this, that even in the midst of this judgment, God's presence is still there. He's still available. He's still giving mankind time. And it's going to be very, very specific when we get to chapter 16 that man will continue to reject. Men will continue to say, they will, in, in, they'll blaspheme the name of the Lord. They're not going to repent of their deeds. But it's not going to be a result of God not giving them an opportunity to do those things. It's going to be very, very clear for them. Now, like I said, we've spent the last eight to ten weeks covering God's judgment. But I think there's something that we need to know out of this. Because just like God's love is a part of his personality, it's a part of his character, God's judgment is a part of his character as well. And we need to make sure we understand the full character of God. And the only way that we can learn the full character of God is through studying the full counsel of God, which is studying the complete word of God. You say, Rob, I don't think teaching like this and this kind of, I don't think, I, I don't think Revelation 15 is, and 16 are good verses to teach at church. I don't think people want to really hear that stuff. As a pastor, I'm not concerned with what you want to hear. I'm concerned with what I have to teach. You see, I have to answer to the Lord someday. When, I, when he says to me, did you teach the full counsel of my word? I'm either going to answer, yes, I did, or no, I didn't. It's a yes or no question. So it's not my concern to say, well, I don't really like hearing this. I'm sorry that you don't like hearing it, but God wants you to hear it. There's a reason that you want to hear it. I don't really like teaching it, to be honest with you. I'd much rather teach about love and forgiveness and grace and mercy. But I think there's something that we need to make, make clear on this. Don't think for a moment. Do you know how God, or let me, let me put it this way. Do you know when somebody wrongs you, and you try to do the Christian thing, I'm just going to forgive them. And then they get what they got coming. They get what they had coming. And there's that part of you that goes, yeah, I got it. You don't want anybody to see you say that, but you're like, yeah, they finally, I knew it was coming their day. I knew they were going to get it. Don't think for a moment that's God's heart on this. Don't think for a moment God is taking pleasure in the judgment that he is casting down. Because I want you to know something. In Ezekiel chapter 11, it says this. This is the prophet Ezekiel speaking on behalf of God to the nation of Israel. This is what it says from God. As I live, says the Lord God. As I live, says the Lord God. I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. But that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn from your evil ways. For why should you die, O house of Israel? You see, God's heart is that mankind would turn from their evil ways. Not that they would die in their evil ways. God's heart is that mankind would turn into, in, in a life, repent, which means turn back to God. Ask for forgiveness of their sins. Realize, you know what, I'm a sinner. I've got a problem in my life. It's sin. And I can't solve that problem on my own. Instead, I need the forgiveness of God. I need the forgiveness of God. You see, we can build up walls and we can say, no, we're not going to do that all we want. But it doesn't change the fact that we're still not perfect. It doesn't change the fact that what's coming is coming. You say, Rob, I just don't believe that. Well, someday you will. I promise you will. God's desire is for people to turn from their wicked ways and live. 
God has given mankind this choice from the beginning of time. He gave Adam and Eve a choice in the garden, didn't he? He put a choice before them. You can eat of the fruit of the tree or you cannot eat of it. It's a choice. You have to choose to follow me because you see God is a loving God and he wants those people that are willing to choose to follow him to demonstrate their love for him when they make that choice. If there was no choice, there would be no show of love. There'd be no decision. We'd all be walking around like robots. The choice is where it lies. Joshua chapter 24. Joshua's speaking to the nation Israel and he gives them a choice. He says, now therefore, fear the Lord. Serve him in sincerity and in truth. Put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river or the god of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You see, even that choice that Joshua puts out to the nation of Israel. Are you going to serve the gods of the people in the land that you're dwelling? Are you going to serve the gods of the Egyptians? Are you going to serve the living God, Jehovah? That same choice is being asked to mankind today. As a matter of fact, each of us in this room have to make that choice. At some point in your life, you have to decide, who am I serving? Who am I living for? Am I living for God, for Jesus? Or am I going to live for myself? Am I going to live for the things of the world? Now, we don't relate to the things back in Egypt, but what that refers to is the things of the world. Have you made the choice? Have you made the choice? What choice did you make? Are you willing to take a stand for the Lord and say, I will serve the Lord? I am a sinner. I need forgiveness of sins. You see, that's where this lies. As we study the judgments of God, it's only going to get worse next week as we pour out the bowls on the earth. But notice mankind at this point still has a choice. There's coming a day where there will no longer be a choice. But as long as there's a choice to be made, I would strongly urge each of us to make sure we've chose to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And before someone says, I don't need that, I would say, take a look at your life and see how it is. How's your attitude? How's your heart? How's your marriage? How's your job? How's your financial situation? How are the things that, you, that are important? How are the things that you thought Is life going the way that you thought? Or is your life a mess? Because life can be a disaster sometimes. Maybe that's the thing the Lord's trying to show you that says, hey, I want you to turn to the Lord. Maybe you've been in church for a long time. Maybe you've been to church your whole life and you've always, I'm a Christian, but I've never made the decision to serve God. I would say that consider it because there's no better life than a life serving the Lord. If you haven't made the choice to follow Christ, please do so because it'll make a change in you that your loved ones will see, that your family will see. It'll make a change in your marriage. It'll make a change in the way that you see other people. It'll make a change in the way that your life is just going. It's really not a hard choice at all. But what there is, there's a cost with it because there's a cost. Because if I'm, if I'm going to choose to follow Christ, then I'm going to have to say goodbye to some things of the world. For me in my life, I had to say goodbye to drinking alcohol the way I like to drink it. I had to say goodbye to some of the things that I was doing, the thoughts that I was having, the places I was going, the people I was hanging around with. I had to say goodbye to what I thought were my friends. My good friends, they were always with me. I had to say goodbye to a lot of things. But I can tell you many years later, I wouldn't look back. I'm in a much better place today 
than I would have been had I kept on that road. So which road are you on? Is it leading where you want to go? And are you sure it's going to get you there? Father, we thank you for this time in your word. Lord, your judgments can be hard. But Lord, I just pray that it draws us closer to you. I pray that we come to understand your character more through it. And I pray that we choose to serve you. Like Joshua, that we can say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. 